0: Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks on this great Thursday morning. We're going to have some rain here in the District of Columbia and, and around. So we're going to have rain that will nourish the soil so we can grow things. And today we have Brian Albert as our guest, who's with Equal Exchange, and they buy from farmers who grow things all over the world, and they give them a fair price for their products. Good
1: morning, Brian. Good morning, Vernon. Thank you for having me today.
0: Oh, thank you so much for taking out your time to be with us on the program this morning. You have a degree in accounting and food industry and used to work with Merrill Lynch. How do you how does that apply to equal
1: exchange? Co ops? I think on one level there's a lot that does apply, but I think what really attracted me to equal exchange are some of the things that did not apply. And what I mean by that is, you know, accounting numbers is numbers. Uh, any business needs to have uh, good, accurate uh, systems to track their business, their revenues, their expenses. But most of the other businesses I had worked in along the way were more of the uh, mainstream business model, where you know the the profits went to the few, and and the work was done by the many. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. So I think that's, that was what attracted me to Equal Exchange was a, a completely different model. I, I had been around the block a little bit. I had done a few different things. I had even done a, a brief stint uh, trying self-employment and realized there was some benefit to having a, a full-time, steady job with benefits. And uh, coming back into the workforce, I saw I actually saw a, uh, an advertisement in print media, and it might be one of the last people on the planet who have found a job that way. <laughs> Uh, Equal Exchange was looking for what they they were calling a controller at the point, Mm -hmm. uh, at that point, and uh, I think my skill set was there. But uh, as one does when you're looking for a new job, you you start to do a little bit of the due diligence yourself and learn a little bit about the company. And I was just fascinated by the co-op model and uh, the mission of Equal Exchange. You know, I wanted to do something that was going to be a little bigger than than just counting the numbers. Work a day, work a day, work a day, and, and, right. and grind away. It's something that's you know, it's a little bigger than me
0: and, and bigger than just a typical day job. Brian, I want to go all the way back to the, the, the something you said first off, and that is you used to work for businesses where the profit went to the few people and the work was at the many. And, and that's what most capitalistic model businesses are. There's a hierarchy, and the people that have capital put money into the business and then they get a return off of it and I got an MBA and most of the decisions were made with return on investment what is gives you the best return on investment for the investors not necessarily what's best for the employees or not necessarily what's best for your clients or your vendors but what's best for the investors uh, and that was sort of that drove the decision model so that is what most businesses in in the world particularly in the US that's the, what they're designed for and Equal Exchange has a total different mission. And what's that? what, what attracted you to Equal Exchange?
1: Well, when I looked in and I, I started to learn a little bit about fair trade and paying farmers a living wage rather than uh, you know just trying to squeeze them for every nickel that you could, you know, actually paying the people who do the hard work at the, the beginning of the supply chain uh, a fair and living wage, and it just seemed like something, something completely different, did it? The uh, the financials for Equal Exchange were such that I looked at. Profitability was fairly low. So I soon came to the realization that, you know, while Equal Exchange is a for-profit company, it's certainly not one that is profit-motivated.
0: Right. So you get lower profits, but you want to make sure that your vendor, the farmer, has a fair – gets paid a fair wage for their product. Now, I've had – three other people from eco exchange on the show last December. And I got a lot of information about this fair trade and it's sort of what I got was there are commodity indexes and you, you pay based on those indexes, not on how you can negotiate somebody down and keep negotiating them down. So you end up paying a fair price for the products and that starts it. And then you get into this co-op model. Did you know about co-ops before you heard about eco exchange?
1: I knew conceptually what a co-op was, and I thought it was kind of a you know a radical hippie idea. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> Brian, you knew more about
0: it than I did. I knew nothing about co-ops until I started. I'm a property manager in the daytime, and it wasn't until I started managing housing co-ops that I started learning about it. And the more I learned about them, the more I liked them. Particularly, again, comparing it to the capitalistic model, I liked it for a whole lot of reasons. Okay, so we got a hippie. <laughs> Radical model here. <laughs> so what made it uh, a hippie okay. radical model?
1: Uh, well, you know, it's just, it's just the whole concept of, um, you know, having spent all of my adult working life in that mainstream, you know, uh, work-a-day model. It, it was just a completely different idea that, you know, people could actually have a voice in the operation of a company and that, uh, the founder and the, the newest worker-owner here each have one, the opportunity to buy one share in the company, a voting share, mm-hmm. and then they exercise that one vote, one worker, one vote. It was just like, wow, this is really different. It's, it's so unlike anything I had done. It, 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 one of my few questions when I interviewed for the position was, you know, why do we even have to advertise to hire folks? Why don't people just line up at the door to be part of this?
0: Well, I I think the more people understand it, and this is why the National Co-op Bank is sponsoring this radio program, the more people understand this model, the more people want want to have it because you have a say in how things are done in the business. But there is – I'm changing my property management business to a worker cooperative. We're going through that. We've been eight months into it. And it is difficult to get people to change the attitude from employee to owner. There is a major shift – and, and, and everybody does not want to make that shift pump. Some people just want to come to work, do their 40 hours, get their paycheck, go home, and sit up in front of the TV or whatever they do. They don't want to think about it or work it because there is work. It, you know, so some people don't want it. I get that. But I, can, I would believe that most people, once they understand this model, would 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 go for it. Uh, and you know, like you said, why isn't there a line around the block for this to be in, be involved in it?
1: Exactly. And I think in the last 10 years, I've been here just about, it'll be 10 years Sunday uh, that I will have been at, at Equal Exchange. And uh, I, in that time, there are more and more people. But, you know, I grew up in a suburb of Boston. I, I live in the suburb of Boston. I grew up in Boston proper. Uh, but living in a suburb of Boston, when I first started working here, and I would tell people about where I was working and the business model and the whole co-op concept. Mm-hmm. They would just be slack-jawed and wide-eyed looking at me and saying, like, does that really work? Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, it works. It works
0: quite well. Well, as I've told people about changing this to where the workers have a say and as a group, people think it's crazy and it won't work. I've had people have that have that view: is that you can't get a group of people to get in and make group decisions, for example. Um, but I said, yeah, it, it can work, uh, particularly once that the group of people decide on the process of how decisions were made and put put in place policies and procedures of how things are made, it can work extremely well. Um, Matter of fact, I I had believed this because I'd heard of ESOPs, uh, employee stock option plans, and I thought that they would work very well because it takes longer to get a decision when you have a group. It takes longer because you have to get people all up aboard and get them knowledge so they can make an informed decision. But once people make the decision, then the implementation is much faster. That's, and, and, and better have, have you found that to happen in your 10 years
1: yes um so direct to the question yes that absolutely does work uh, and i think just by human nature being what it is if you're part of the decision making then you don't have to have that uh you know we're in the typical model where the the top-down decision making is more prevalent
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: the the higher ups, so to speak, make the decision, and then they have to try to force it on the people who actually do the work. Um, in this model, people who do the work are part of the decision making process, so you have that instant buy in.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you get the instant buy in, and because they've helped make the decision, they'll and they are doing the work. They'll know how to implement exactly (laughs) okay that's why you get a better better implementation because they're doing the work they made a decision they know how to do it and they're right doing it so it happens much 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 quicker Um, now let's go back to counting the numbers Uh, accounting my my I have a master's in math and I thought I wanted to be an accountant uh, because of that skill set so we have something in common here in the numbers So every business, whether it's a co-op or for-profit or non-profit or capitalistic model or not, they have to have somebody to do the accounting just to how much you pay for things and how much you sell things for. How has that been for you at Equal Exchange? There there
1: are debits and credits and debits debits and credits and, you know, those things happen all day long. Uh, there are a few unique things about equal exchange and, you know, pre-harvest finance and, again, with the, going back to the fair trade model. Um, so there were some things to learn about that. So that, to me, was really interesting. I am the type of person that, you know, I don't want to just sit in there and, and be part of a machine and then put the, the green lampshade on and wear my visor and just do accounting work. Mm-hmm. So learning new things about it was really great. Um, and then the whole finance capital model um,
0: can, what can we, before you here? before you go to the financial capital model, what is it about the fair trade model what What is it about those numbers you had to learn
1: what Well one of the tenets of fair trade is that the the farmers will have access to pre-harvest finance right so uh, like any farmer uh, he or she only has act, makes money basically once a year when they're selling their crop, but they have expenses year round. So how do they live uh, in the time in between harvests, uh, and and how do they have access to money? Uh, In in the traditional model, they had essentially loan sharking arrangements, uh, not to be too dramatic about it, but there were a limited number of of of, uh, points of access where a small farmer could access and get uh, a loan. Mm -hmm. And the people who generally provided the loans uh, were the same people that they would then have to sell their product to. And the, the coffee's grown in pretty remote areas, so you had limited access to market when it came time to sell your product. It was, t- again, typically to the person who made the loan to you, and that person would often set the prices that weren't very great for the farmers.
0: You know, we, we we have to take a break, but what what that reminds me of, and I think people can identify to this, at least I grew up in West Virginia, and my grandfather worked in the mines, and my father worked on the railroad, And we would buy our goods from the company store. And there was a hold my soul to the company store kind of model where you, they would, you go there and you buy your food or your clothes and you buy higher, you, you pay more for them. And then they would take it out of your paycheck. And more often than not, you have—you may not even get a paycheck because you owe them everything. I owe my soul to the company store. And it would be the same thing from the farmers you're saying that. But we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. I want to get more into this Harvest Finance and then go to the, some of the other things that you're talking about with, with financing and accounting at Equal Exchange. We'll be right back. News updates on the web at WOLDCnews.com. Information is power. That's WOL's motto, and that's NCB is sponsoring this program. So, it'll give you the information where you'd have the power to start a start a worker cooperative. Uh, most co-ops uh, are formed to solve some community problem. So, if you have a problem in your community, if two, three, four of you get together to start a business, you could go to the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives, and they have people that will help you to give you the technology to know how to start a business. And there's some people around the community, the Cooperative Development Foundation. They have funds available to help uh, seed money to start a business. So there's people around to help start businesses. In New York, uh, they put a million dollar a year for five years to help worker co-ops get started. So there's uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. I think they put up 1.2 million last year, and they're going for 2.4 million this year to start worker co-ops. So we would like to try to do the same kinds of things here in the Washington D.C. metropolitan area to see if we can get seed monies to help start worker cooperatives. And one worker cooperative that I really like is Equal Exchange, and we have Brian Albert on the phone with us today. He is talking about he is their finance. Uh, Director of Finance, so we're talking about the, the normal accounting functions, finance functions, and he was talking about harvest financing before we went back, and I was relating that to owing my soul to the company store, which was what would happen in the mines of West Virginia on the railroad where my father worked, and so these same farmers would owe their souls to the people that loaned them the money and bought their products, and normally it was at prices or interest rates that were beneficial to the person that was loaning the money,
1: detrimental to the farmer.
0: Have I got it right, Brian?
1: Yeah, the, just one nuance is it's pre-harvest finance that uh, is part of the fair trade model.
0: Okay. So how does that work to get them out of these loan sharks?
1: There are a couple of entities that we work with. There's uh, one here in the U.S. Uh, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and uh, another in the U.K. that will advance money to the farmers just based on the fact that they have a contract with Equal Exchange, and that will allow them to access up to 60% of the value of the contract. So they'll have money in cash flow, uh during the time of year, before the harvest, and then when the harvest comes in, they sell the product to us, they make their delivery, and then we make arrangements for them to receive the final payment, the the additional 40% uh, less than nominal interest amount, and then we pay the people who provided the finance. And in some cases, we actually do some pre-harvest financing ourselves directly to uh, some of the farmer co-ops that we work with.
0: Um, do you feel like you can talk about the differences in the interest rates when they were with the loan sharks versus the pre-harvest financing that you all helped them get? Uh,
1: I I know that they are significant. I think, quite frankly, uh, the the, uh, director of purchasing and and the purchasing uh, people that we have probably could speak better to it. But I I know that we're talking, you know, you go from – Four or five, maybe six percent, depending on the the entity, uh, relative to a double digit interest rate, and, and in high teens, I think was not unusual. Uh, you know, I can't okay. nothing I could be swear to in court, but uh, okay. outrageous
0: so, amounts of interest. So even if it were sixteen percent before, it could be six percent now, which is a ten percent spread, which is more than significant. <laughs> Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I just wanted some sense of it. I won't hold it to, told to you to be exact in court or here. Okay. But get some sense that if you had to pay 16%, and you can get financing for a car versus 6%, or 2%, or 4%, you know, it's a tremendous difference in how much you have to pay out. Um, so that people, again, the farmer in this case can have funds. To help provide, uh, you say subsistence, but live every day. As a matter of fact, I don't remember who was on the program, and they, one farmer described it this way: that they had monies; they could feed their family year-round. Was was their their definition of success by working with these kinds of programs? Where before they didn't have enough money to feed their family, they could feed their family year-round. And they had some savings left over at the end of the year. So it's a tremendous change from 16% to 6 or 19% to 4%. It's uh, one of the examples, plus all, some of the other things that can happen with ECO with, by being in a co-op. Um, okay, but well, now we want to go back to what are some of the other things that you learned uh, as you started looking at and working for ECO exchange that's different from
1: your other jobs? I think one of them would be the capital model, would be the main difference. And it was really interesting to me to see that, uh, you know, having worked with Merrill Lynch and having worked in in the finance arena uh, quite a few years ago, to realize that in addition to businesses like Equal Exchange, which there are a few of us out there, uh, there are a fairly large number of individuals and some institutions that are willing to put their money into Supporting uh, a business like ours that's more mission-based than profit-based, mm-hmm. and they're willing to take a lower return than they might get on the stock market uh, to help us to to do the work that we do. And you yeah, know that was really uh, an eye-opener for me that, well, yeah, there's, there are actually individuals that work it's like this business works.
0: So you can have a, an investor. Is that? Is there a name for those investors that will will invest? Because the mission,
1: um, as opposed to profit. Yeah, they, they, well, there's SRI is the, the term that's used in the industry It's a socially responsible investing. Uh, so there are quite a few people, and there are some organizations and entities that that actually gather like-minded individuals in these types of arenas. Uh, so the, it's more the social return. It's knowing that you know money that I have is it's it's not going to make me rich, but it's going to help somebody else improve their life get to the point like you just alluded to the uh, people who are eating out of the living and just barely on the sustenance level not and the farmers are getting rich on this uh not by a long shot but they are able to feed their families and that's a great place to start
0: sri social responsible investing and i noticed you said it may not get rich I I did a couple programs here by looking at money and and rich or what what does it really take to live? I mean, what do you really need? Um, And more often, if a person has what they already need and they're looking for a a return off of their investment, but they don't really need a whole lot, or um, they're looking for enough return off of their investment to meet their needs so that they can say okay I can invest in something that's social responsible investment like eco exchange and I might get a 3 4% return where in the in the market I might get 5 6 7% return and that 2 3 4% return more than meets my needs or meets my needs and so that's fine so you get people with a different attitude I'm not trying to just gather more toys so that when I die I can say I had more toys uh, but I'm really just trying to get enough to, so I can meet my needs and do something that benefits somebody else, social, responsible investment. So I'm I'm seeing more and more of that as people. Um, what, what always surprises me is when people that have more than they need, they have a billion dollars. If they invested at 4%, they have $400 million coming in without hitting a lick. And then they still want more and more and more and more. And I'm going, why? Why a billion dollars? That's I think that's the nine zeros. If I count that right, okay. <laughs> okay. I'd agree. Okay, so you get more and more people. If you get more and more people that are social responsible, that are looking to work in an organization like Eco Exchange or what I am hoping Oaks Man- Oaks Property Management becomes, and other companies like this, or if people want to start it, this is why we have this program to give you the information to talk about the benefits of coming together working together cooperatively and in a lot of communities native american communities alaskan american community a lot of the tribes out of africa the history going down to peru they they work cooperatively that's how the the, the tribe worked everybody knew what they had to do and you work collectively for the benefit of everybody not for the individual so i'm i'm glad you did. Is there anything else then that you found from the financial model of uh, working with Eco exchange? Any other, you've given us two great examples.
1: Well, just to circle back again and just to add, I'd want to maybe shine a light again on the fact that equal exchange, um, we target the profitabilities between two and 5%. Right. And most companies would say, you know, well, you just, you just scrape and buy their two to 5% profitability. And, um, we have grown in the ten years I've been here from twenty million dollars to we're knocking on the door sixty million dollars in ten years. The sales, so the sales. You, of you don't need to have a eight, ten, twelve percent profit to to grow and to to do well.
0: But that, let me get there was twenty million of sales when you came, and now it's sixty million of sales. You treat you tripled yourself in ten years. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It can be done. <laughs>
0: Well, I, two to five percent. If you can consistently do it too, and do good while you're making money, that's that's absolutely phenomenal. And you're growing three times in ten years. That is that is great. So you can help the farmer by getting them pre-harvest financing at a better rate, so they'll they'll be able to survive, and maybe even strive. Um, and then you can find people that will that will do social responsible investments. Um, so they're looking for a potential lower return, but helping people, and then you can have a two to five percent profit margin uh, uh, goal, and and then for make decisions not necessarily what what's give you the most profit, but what's best for everybody concerned. Like the model, we're going to take a break on that, and we'll be, we'll be right back. Uh, we'll talk more about equal exchange, get into some more about fair trade and how it works. And I also want to get into how you divide up that 2 to 5% profit between the workers and growing the business. We'll be right back. Don't touch the dial. News updates on the web at WOLDCnews.com. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks uh, Everything Cooperative. We're talking to Brian Albert from Eco Exchange, who got a job, which they call a comptroller. He's their director of finance. We've just talked about pre-harvest financing for the farmers and social responsible investment for them to get investing into Eco Exchange. Um, and they have a goal of two to five percent profit, and, and with that is a that goal for their company is basically small. But if you Look at two percent. They and ten years ago when he when he started, they had twenty million dollars of sales. So during the break, I try to do a little math. If they made three percent on twenty million dollars, that would be six hundred thousand dollars in profit if I did my math right. And voilà. if, if they did ten percent of three percent of six million dollars is one point eight million dollars so they would do I have my zeros right
1: Yes you do decimal prices are right where they should be
0: okay so then, you would if you, if you had a consistent three percent that's somewhere between a two and a five percent profit margin. Uh, 3% of $20 million, you would have made $600,000 10 years ago in profit. And if you made 3% on $60 million, you grew it to $60 million in 10 years. That's triple the growth rate. And that's also triple the amount of profit if it was still at 3%, which would be $1.8 million. So how do you divide that up and who decides? Because that's – I think that third principle of of um, cooperative is the economic participation. That to be a member of a of a co-op, normally there's some money that you put in, and you also have the opportunity of getting money back out. So who decides what you do with that 1.8 million dollars if that's what you made?
1: Well, it's, now, you said that you have a, a background in finance and accounting, so you know that if you talk too much about it, you're going to lose the audience, and I, I'll try not to do that to you. I'll try to break it down if if, <laughs> if it gets too. Okay. The first question is who decides what that
0: money goes to, though?
1: Yeah. bylaws uh, uh, have parts of a, for, have a formula in there uh, that dictate that uh, 60% of the money right off the bat goes back into the business to help grow the business. Well,
0: who uh, made that decision? Imagine- who made that decision? The
1: worker owners. The okay. worker owners made that decision. That's That
0: was the first point I wanted to get across. The same, the worker owners, when you're a worker in a co-op, uh, you are owner. And you and, and, and Brian has already talked about that's one share, one vote. So when you're creating policies on who decides what happens to that $1.8 million, those shareholders decide that. And each one of them would come and vote. And so they have decided that 60% of the profit, uh, $1.8 million, stays in the business, right?
1: Yes. Okay. What else? Okay. So 60% goes to the business that leaves 40% available to be distributed to the worker owners. And of that 40%, uh, we base the distribution on the FTE, the full-time equivalency status of the people who actually did the work at Equal Exchange. So,
0: so that means that the, the more the more you worked, the more you get back. That's the FTE. If you work full time, then you would get something back. If you work part time, you get less back um, based on how much you worked. Is that what that Correct. means? Okay.
1: Right, yeah. If you work four days a week, uh, you'd, you'd be considered at 80%. You'd get an 80% share. Um, but then it's also there's uh, – because of the growth we've had, uh, one of the side benefits of this growth is that we've had to – or had been, have been able to hire more workers. And during the first year, uh, you're not considered a full-time worker, only you're on track to become one. So there's a learning process about, uh, in my case, you know, what does it mean to be part of a co-op? Man. We have educational components. to that, uh, but I don't want to go down that far, too far down that path. Well,
0: I, I think the only thing that 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 I really wanted people to understand is when you when you are hired at Equal Exchange, this is Equal Exchange rule that the worker owners have created. You cannot become an owner, and you can only become an owner after one year, and you're a worker, you're an employee, you get paid, but you don't share any dividends. You don't have a vote. You don't have a say at least for one year. And you have to prove yourself by taking classes and by doing certain things. And you have a sponsor. I really like the program. Okay. <laughs> Brian, that's what I want you to hear. So there are some things you have to do to prove yourself that you will be a, a responsible owner. There, are, There is responsibility that goes with this. So I just want that point to be made. And, and, um uh, And so there is a vote that the members will vote to see if this worker will, if they really want this worker to become an owner, and that's based on behavior, what they've done
1: and what they've learned. All right, keep going. Okay, so let's just say that in the course of a year, 75% of the work was done by worker owners, Uh, the other 25% by the folks that are on the worker owner track. And given the seasonality of our business, there are some temporary workers as well. So we would take the 40 percent and reduce it to the, by to 75 percent of that 40 percent. And just then that is what is distributed to the folks that actually were worker owners during the course of the year.
0: Okay, so it makes sense to me because I've already had this conversation before, and I like it. It was a a method to make sure that the current worker owners would not say, okay, I'm not going to let any more worker owners come in because I get a share of 40. I get the whole 40%. So what what they decided to do was say, okay, you can only take out worker owners that amount that you really contribute. If there were some non-worker owners working, they can't get that amount, but we want to make sure that you are okay with and don't get greedy so that you will only be able to get the amount of profits that you work for. So if if the worker owners did 75% of the work, they can get 75% of that 40%, which turns out to be 30%. The math worked really well, but um, okay, I got it. I like the reasons why the workers decided to do this for future, making sure that, the pathway was available for new worker owners to come in and participate.
1: So then there's two more links on this chain, and one is you know pretty obvious. you whatever know, what happens to the other ten percent? Well, that gets added to the original sixty percent that gets uh, rolled into grow the business. So okay. that stays in the business to help grow it. And then the the, the final link is then. We have, again, by agreement with the owners in the bylaws, and uh, each year it's subject to approval by the board, uh, only 50% of what each person has earned through his or her labor in the course of the year is actually paid out to the person, and half of them is invested in an internal capital account, which they will get upon separation from the company.
0: Okay, so they end up... Um... And I did this. If it was 1.8 million dollars this past year, 30% of that. Uh, again, I did the math in my head. 540,000. So hope is right. So of that 540,000 dollars, the worker owners get half of that. I think it's 270,000. The other 270,000 goes into a capital account, which is basically a savings account for the workers.
1: Yes, essentially, yeah, we use money, we invest the money in our Class B shares. So. Uh, if you could go back again to the socially responsible investors that mm-hmm. are supporting this company, mm-hmm. uh, the worker owner body is the largest single entity of those socially responsible investors. We have uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.5 million uh, collectively invested in the business.
0: Okay. So the worker owners will get a, a decent check for Christmas bonus or whenever you <laughs> give it out. okay, And, how many worker owners do you have now that would share that two hundred and seventy thousand dollars?
1: Last year was a hundred and fifteen, going off the top of my head. Okay. A, was, yeah. Okay, a
0: hundred and fifteen worker owners. Okay, so if I did my math, I don't, I, I can't do that in my head, but it's, if it was a hundred owners, it would be twenty-seven thousand each.
1: Right. Yeah, it was about $2,350 actually paid out, and then another 2350 Uh
0: 23500 paid out?
1: I'm sorry, $235,000. i am sorry. Okay. Someone in that general neighborhood. And then uh, the other half of that is invested in the employee's name in our Class B shares. But if it was
0: 235000 that, that's almost like twenty thousand of employee. That's a decent Christmas bonus.
1: That's a very decent. It's, bonus. It comes out to. Let me do the math here. Five hundred and forty thousand dollars divided by one hundred and fifteen. Yeah, it's a little over four and a half thousand dollars each. A little over. And which gets paid out to you, and half is invested.
0: Forty thousand each.
1: Four thousand. Oh, I did my math wrong.
0: Four thousand each. Okay, I got my decimal in the wrong place. Then, so if it's four thousand each, then two thousand to get for Christmas bonus or whenever you pass. When do you give us out?
1: We try to do it soon after the the year end. Our, our uh, fiscal year is the calendar year. Okay. By the time we get the you know all the work done to do a year end close, it's uh, usually we we make an estimate and pay out a significant amount of that. In sometime in February, usually at the February worker owner meeting. Okay. Yeah, so uh, good way to start a new year. I, right. Yeah. But well, we catch you up from Christmas to go back to that uh, connection you were making. Okay.
0: <laughs> All right. So we just worked out that you've got a lot of things here working financially. The worker owner is the one that creates this process that we just went through. They made the decision. There was no nobody else than in a different city or different town or different country, like a shareholders in the capitalistic model that makes the decisions. The the shareholders in a normal capitalistic model will they will be the ones that vote on who who are the directors and those directors make the policies of the board of directors. Uh, normally the workers have no say on who's the board or who's on the board of directors, but in this worker owner model, the owners are the shareholders and each shareholder, no matter how much, how long they've been in the business. Once you become a shareholder, you have one share and one vote. And then in these policy decisions, like what do you do with the money? That is the profit and what's the profit motive. And then what do you do with the money that's the profit? Then those, worker owners make those decisions. But it also means that you have to be educated, and that's the fifth principle of the cooperative model is education, training, and information. And that's the first principle, Brian, that I really drew me to this co-op because I've taught 12 years in my career. In education, uh, my grandfather used to say Sober or drunk, now he he used to say, "Get an education, boy. Nobody can take it from you." Matter of fact, Brian, I'm gonna put this on air. I've never said it before, but he really said, it, "the the white man, the white man cannot take that education from you." So, growing up black in America, in West, in West Virginia, it's just like, what can you do with your world and your life? And it was get an education. Get an education. Nobody can take that from you. So, and I've heard, when I've had people around from around the world on a program. Different people have said the same thing. No matter where the farmer is, no matter where the worker is, they get educated by being in the co-op. And that's what you said. That this, you know, Whenever you come on, when you came on, no matter how much education you had before you came on, you've got to get educated in the cooperative model, and you have to get educated about the policies and procedures of worker, of equal exchange. So I like this education. Do you have anything else to say about education, what you got or what you see other people when they get this education? How they how they change, or what what do you see about that?
1: Well, I, I before I even go into that and answer that question, I want to point out something that resonated with me. What you just said about your, your was your father or your grandfather grandfather yeah. he yeah he, he exemplifies the difference between being educated and being smart. He sounds like a pretty smart guy. uh Yeah, you can't get an education taken away from you. Um, as far as how that connects to the co-op world. Uh, can, I, can
0: I ask you to just hold that thought? We'll come right back to it because we have to take our next break. And, Brian, we're already, I think this is our last break. The hour goes by very quickly, but we'll be right back. We'll get to weather and the traffic, and and we'll be right back. Thanks. Okay.
1: News updates on the web at WOLDCnews.com
0: information is power. Uh, NCB's mission, National Cooperative Bank's mission, is to help cooperatives grow by supporting and being an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, placing special emphasis on serving the needs of communities that are economically challenged. And most of the communities I know where people of color live are economically challenged, and, and that causes a challenge for a bank uh, and Brian, uh, Albert, and I are both in the finance world, and knowing that most bankers don't go in communities that are economically challenged because they normally look for people that have collateral. Uh, they have a business already started that's successful, or they have land before they will loan money because they have to make sure they get their money back. So NCB has a challenge, and even in their mission, but they've done it extremely well. Um, I'm quite proud of them and Glad that they're sponsoring this program because I can shout out with pride about what they do and how they do it. The same pride I have for Equal Exchange, um, Brian, and so you were getting ready to talk about education when we took the break.
1: Right. So one of the principles of uh, the cooperative world is that education for its members. And uh, when I started here 10 years ago, I had been in the in the business world, I had been in the workforce for 30 years at that point uh, and still when I was assigned here I was handed a binder uh, we've, we've updated that it's electronic now but it's a worker on handbook and it includes the bylaws of the organization a little bit about the history of the company uh, and in, in addition to having been given that handbook uh, a mentor was assigned to me to help me assimilate into this co-op world and uh, one of the things we do is we are required to attend a certain number of educational classes within Equal Exchange. We have what we call exchange time, and there are some that are core requirements. If you think of your college education, you know the, the core curriculum that you had to check off, having attended that particular exchange time as part of the requirement before you could be voted in to become a full-fledged worker-owner.
0: What was what were uh, some of you said assimilate. What do you mean by assimilate into the business?
1: Well, again, co-op world was completely different to me. You know, I'm used to going in there, you're, you're not quite literally, but you, know, you punch the time clock, you do your job, you have your responsibilities, and you take care of that, and then you go home. Uh, when you, you're working in a co-op world, you are not just an employee. You are actually a co-owner of the business, and we'll make some of the decisions that affect the future of the business. So, you know, just right from a very basic, you know, what's a co-op? Uh, you know, what is the history of the business? What Let's learn a little bit about coffee, which is uh, – it's, it's decreased from over 80% of our revenues when I started here. It's still in the 70s. Uh, but, you know, let's learn a lot about coffee so we know what the coffee industry is about. Uh, this is the industry we're in. So we should we should know as owners a little bit more about it than the typical – uh, work-a-day worker who comes in, in here and just the clock and goes home.
0: Did you have to take a test or anything to show that you learned something?
1: No, I think, you know, it, your mentor makes sure you're you're getting up to the test. There's no pass-fail or anything on that quite that level, but mm-hmm. you had to have attended the, the training. I think our, our hiring process kind of, it shows that there are people here who, who are going to want to be here and uh, willing to learn.
0: I think the food co-ops, at least I, they have a, a test for the financial part. They want to make sure that people, maybe it's just the board members, but I don't know if it's the board members or all members. They must be able to understand the profit sheet and the balance sheet so that they'll know uh, to how to make informed financial decisions. So I've I've heard that. I'll find out more about that. I, I, I like it. Um, so, as you've learned, as you as as you have learned about this co-op um, and the knowledge, has that helped to change you at all? Here's what I'm getting to. So Let me try to phrase this question. Um, one of the other uh, Eco exchange members that was on last year said that, that he was in a meeting with his boss and. Um, the boss was in charge but he was also the chairman of the board so later that day there may be a, a board meeting and then he was in charge and the boss would have to take direction from him and so you always had to know who had what role of of, of like of who was in charge and that was through knowledge through training cuz that's just not normal did have you found things like that and you have to get educated on uh, that met, was that clear question?
1: Yeah, no, I, I get the question. Um, so a couple of things that might answer it, and, and you can tell me after I'm finished whether I've answered your question. Okay. Uh, then, then we'll know whether I understood it well or not. Uh, we we refer to wearing different hats. Okay. Um, so like many businesses, you know, uh, we do have a, a hierarchical structure in terms of the day-to-day operation of the business. So you know we have a uh, well we have co-executive directors, which would essentially be a president and vice president in the traditional model.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: and then we have management and supervisors and direct reports. Uh, just in the day-to-day running of the business, right? We we can't obviously all get in the room and vote about you know which which box we want to package things in, and you know that there's some practical uh, limitations that the day-to-day operations are addressed by a typical structure. It's the bigger things that people need to vote on, that uh, in, including voting on the board and electing the board members. And six of the nine members of the board are voted from the worker-owner body, and those six should be a little bit more – have a little bit more financial acumen than the average worker-owner. Mm-hmm. That said, we have had – and you've outed me here, by the way. I'm overdue for another presentation to – especially the newer folks, uh, as to what is the difference between the income statement balance sheet, where do the numbers come from for each of those. So uh, I'll, I'll have to get on, put that on the to-do list just to review that. So but you you, uh, you
0: do that. You are right now the person that trains on that. You're the teacher.
1: And what we some- do is make it one of the exchange times. So okay. that there is, you know, just a high level. Right? We're not going to go into every single nuance of, you know, what what's the cost of goods. We, we conceptually know what a cost of goods represents, not spend three days just going into uh, costing Okay. on the financial level. But on a high level, uh, just so the folks, everybody here, again, being a business owner, you, you really should know a little bit about, you know, if you're looking at the financial statement and you're looking at a balance sheet, you need to know that they do represent different things that together give you a better picture of the financial position of the of the organization. But we, we do a high-level hour-and-a-half class. Uh, we have had more in-depth in the past uh, with financial training for all so that everybody went a little bit deeper and spent a couple of days learning a little bit more about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you yeah, that's just one of the many. You know, that was – my presentation would be an exchange time, the other, the, the deeper – uh, financial training for all went a little bit deeper than that. We had somebody to make from the outside. Uh, and I even added a couple of no, a couple more nuggets to my knowledge base. Hey, constantly learning. I
0: got it constantly learning. <laughs> I improved. I, um, I didn't know you had three non-member board members, so I might want to um, – I don't know if I have time, but I would – might one day want to decide to run for one of your board positions. Okay. I want to go now to the principles. Uh, we only have about six more minutes here. Uh, the The cooperative principles, the first one is volunteer and open membership. Um, so, th- again, being African American, I like this a lot because to be a in a co-op, if it's run with the, the normal, these cooperative principles, willing to accept uh, it's open to all people, regardless of gender, uh, race, political, or religious uh, affiliation. Um, so um, <clears throat> you, do you, when you all look for members, uh, is it open to everybody and
1: anybody? Absolutely. Um, our hiring process is pretty successful in that we, we typically have more than 90% retention on our workforce. And I think you probably would agree that that's a pretty high number. Yep. Uh, when we interview, uh, we look at 60% of what we look at is probably more related to the individual and their values, uh, fit, team communication, those kinds of, uh, soft skills, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And only 40% is related to the job, you know, job related skills. Uh, so basically, you know, we're looking for people who are willing to to be here, to commit to being some, you know, part of something bigger than just a typical nine to five job and see you later to have a nice day. Uh, we we look for these people who are willing to to pitch in, to roll up their sleeves, and to make this thing work, regardless of where they come from, or what they look like.
0: All right. We only have I was just told two more minutes, so I will go through these a lot quicker. The second one is Democratic member control. We've already talked about that. One member, one vote. Uh, members' economic participation. We've talked about that one. There is some <clears throat> some pay-in. I won't go through the details, but only to say that what I've learned before for Eco Exchange that people can do their buy-in. They can pay it from their checks. Is that right?
1: right uh, interest free up to 4 years to pay off the the buy in of the one voting share okay and then we've already talked about the other side of it they get
0: dividends back a uh, couple thousand dollars that they can get in cash in february and may a couple thousand in savings uh which goes into their shares uh to help the company grow it, it works wonderfully well then you got autonomy and independence um they have to, You have to be able to control and, and own not only own the business, but control the business. The fifth one we talked about, which is my favorite, education, training, and information. That's the fifth principle of cooperatives for the modern cooperative. And then the uh, sixth one uh, I had wanted to spend more time on, but we don't have time. Is cooperation among cooperatives. Uh, what I get, uh, Brian, is that you all buy from cooperatives. Those are your farm cooperatives, and then you end up selling to cooperatives. Uh, food co-ops and other co-ops. So, it the last one is concern for community, and you are doing it with the fair trade all communities. Brian, we gotta go. Any other? Just last comment, last sentence.
1: <clears throat> no, I just to, again thank you for giving me this this opportunity to to speak at, on the co-ops. It's something that I I came into so late in life. I I wish looking back that I had learn more about it sooner me too uh, it, it really is great to be part of something that you know I, I pay my bills with my paycheck but more important when i go home at night and i put my head on the pillow it feels nice to be part of something that's bigger than yourself and not just uh, you know another cog in the wheel on a typical company
0: thank you buddy thanks a lot see you everybody next thursday have a great one 1450 wol